Hello and welcome to One for the Road with me, Sober Dave. I'm going to be talking to some incredible guests over the next few weeks, all of whom have made the decision to look at their relationship with alcohol and take steps towards a positive change. My guests are all at different points in their journey, but all have powerful and uplifting stories to share. And that's why I hope you find each episode a valuable source of inspiration and insight. My sponsors for season three of One for the Road are the amazing Rock Sober, a brand established in 2017 and led by brothers Sean and Lee, who are both in recovery and on a shared mission to inspire and support recovering addicts worldwide. Injecting rock and roll into sobriety, Rock Sober offers merchandise and accessories to inspire and empower its community of sober badasses. The boys have recently launched a new range of alcohol-free beers which are taking the market by storm. Every beer purchased will help Rock Sober on their mission to support and inspire more people in recovery. Their message is clear, you don't need alcohol to have a good time. So let's all rock sober and remember the good times with Rock Sober AF Drinks. My guest today on One for the Road is the lead singer of the UK alternative rock band Tova. His band began as a way to cope with his depression and addiction issues. And I have to say, he is one of the loveliest men I've ever met. So please welcome Jack Faldry. So good morning, Jack. How are you today, mate? Um, I'm really good, man. I'm really good. How are you? I'm all right, mate. I've been painting in my office (laughs) just before you come on. So I've been kind of meditating with the old paintbrush and that relaxes me. Uh, I will say, mate, uh, the viewers can't see you, but you're looking really cool today, mate. Thank you very much. I try very hard every day. (laughs) (laughs) So, Jack, we'll get on to what you do now a little bit later on. But I always like to wind it all the way back to the beginning from your childhood, where it all begins. Um, so are you comfortable telling me about that? 100% man, yeah. Um, so I was born in in the Wirral, which for people that aren't from the Wirral, it's kind of next door to Liverpool. Wherever I go, I just tell people I'm from Liverpool because it's easier. Um, and I am a, the oldest sibling, the golden child out of the three of us. And I went to a, I went to a nice little, nice little primary school um and had a very very lovely i'd say very 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 lovely uh family experience for the first seven eight years of my life um and uh unfortunately after that my mom became quite unwell um and so things kind of shifted overnight um and uh she's uh she's doing a lot better now which is brilliant and uh my family are all absolutely wonderful people but it was um it was a very hard thing to try and digest as someone that was like seven eight years old because uh, I couldn't really comprehend it and it's only it's only actually been through uh, therapy much later on that I've kind of uh, really experienced those memories and to be honest it's not something I've talked to my family about a great deal um, just because I find it quite hard um, so then, yeah then I went to I went to high school down the road kind of the classic British it's it's pretty rubbish high school but everyone kind of just gets on with it. And I, I was so, I know before we started this, this call, you said, Oh, I looked about seven years younger than I am when I was in high school, mate. I, up until I was 17, swear to God, I looked 12 years old. (laughs) I, I had like a shaved head and I looked like a little peanut, like to the point where I couldn't get into countries because my passport a few years ago till they changed it. Like, and I found it really hard, really hard to kind of fit in with a, with any group of of people that all were doing like adult things, you know, like going out drinking and like meeting people and getting in relationships. None of that happened uh, for me. And then when I started 
college 16 my, my appearance again it's one of those things that it, it changed really quickly um and then started getting a lot of attention from girls and uh and then I started drinking at pretty much the same time and I distinctly remember one day in college walking down the hallway being like oh I used to feel really terrible all the time and now I'm feeling really confident and I think that link from 16 to everything's great at the same time as I started drinking coincidence or not was where all of that started and then I did did really well in, in my school even though I think but by 18 I was I was pretty much functioning on uh functioning alcoholic I'd say um which is not something people would it's not something people think is real you know what I mean like even me saying this now in the back of my mind someone that's older might be listening thinking that you can't be an alcoholic at 18 you know or you can't be and and I think that's it's an absolute myth it's just it's not recognized because if everyone else is partying around you it doesn't make a difference if you're oh, like I'll have a few more everyone's like oh they're a bit mad you know it's it's never it's never that like I think if you're drinking on your own in secret when you're 18 there's a problem um which is something I used to do and I used to cut out school early to go to my friend's house around the corner and we just get drunk all afternoon and I think because I'd had such a, a kind of self-imposed strict kind of like I'm going to smash out all my school work from year seven to year 11 that I was I did I, I'd excelled to the point where I didn't have to try anymore and I know that seems like a maybe even like a mildly kind of cocky thing to say but but it was true um and uh then when I was 17 my, my teacher in high school my music teacher went to prison and um, I couldn't afford, well, the school couldn't afford to get a new teacher in. So I had to teach myself my, uh, my A-level music. And the stress of that kind of made me like drink more. But I did all right. And then I moved out when I was, moved out when I was 19. And I pretty much didn't, there wasn't every other day I was, I was drinking up until when I stopped drinking pretty much after that. So, I mean, surmising it in, in five minutes makes it seem really bleak. Uh, I mean, I, I had a really great time, like, for, for a long time. I think, the, I think the hardest part about any of this stuff has been stopping drinking because it was just wicked until I stopped. I'm not going to pretend it wasn't. There was so many, there's so many, I, I feel like I stopped drinking at a, a relatively early age. Simply one of the reasons is I've got so many stupid stories, as I'm sure that you do, and anyone else that has any kind of substance problem, that they can carry them for the rest of their lives. So even if you're sat around talking to people who are like, oh, I was out, I was out on the smash last week and this and this and this happened. Those stories aren't really, not really exciting and stuff to me anymore. Cause I'm like, oh, I did, I did that so consistently that I don't ever need to create another one of those stories for the rest of my life. And I'll still have you know, so much to talk about at like parties and all those things. So, um, yeah, that led me up to, I, th I stopped when I was 26. So before we go into that, so when you say you started drinking at 16 and you changed your image, that seemed to give you a bit of confidence. Then you started drinking, which gave you even more confidence. What was your drinking like then at 16 and how did it change when you got to 18? Because you said that you was like mm. a functioning alcoholic that in two years, that's moved on quite dramatically, isn't it? Yeah, I, I think the main problem is that I'd never touched alcohol until I was 16. Um, so I didn't really know how to navigate it. Um, so from 16, I would say that two started off just being like two days a week. Um, I would go and stay with friends. I didn't I didn't want to worry my family. Um, with getting home late or any of those things I couldn't really be bothered with the hassle of it so I would just kind of like pick out friends to go and stay with in order to me in order for me to be able to get really drunk and not have to go back and, and see them drunk you know um because I was just pretending I wasn't drinking you know like if they're listening to this this will be the first time they've heard about this like um sorry um and uh so I would drink uh it was really the combination was it'll knock you sick it was when I was yeah when I was 16 I was drinking a crate of Budweiser and a bottle of Bailey's me and my friend would get his mom to go to the shop for us um and we do like stuff around the house and then she'd just pick up the booze for us um so I would have like yeah I drink like a crate of crate of uh Budweiser and then a bottle of Bailey's and I did that for probably about probably about six months or stuff uh, uh yeah about about six months or so and then I started <laughs> and then I started seeing this girl who lived on this um 
who lived on this estate and because she'd been she'd been kicked out of her of her house by by her family so she had free reign on her house and obviously looking back at that you're like oh you poor kid like you're 16 you're living on your own when we were 16 it was like that's a free house you know yeah. so like that's when i started drinking like jack daniels and stuff and i, I just made me feel like I mean, I, I was listening to like Guns N' Roses and Motley Crue and stuff. And I was just like, yeah, if you've got a bottle of Jack Daniels in your hand, you're the fucking man, you know? And uh, from from there, when I kind of like, when they, I realized those people weren't really the people that I, I wanted to be hanging around with, I kind of like pulled it back a little bit because um, my music started to become a bit more serious. But at 17, when the music started to become more serious, I had to become more efficient with my drinking. So how it shifted was that I would figure out ways to get to different venues just in Liverpool um, without having to drive so that someone else could kind of like pick up the slack at the end and I could drink. And I had like a system in place of what I would drink before I went on stage to feel a certain way. Um, so I would have six, I'd have six cans of whatever lager was kicking around and then two energy drinks and i'd have those before i went on stage and then have a couple whilst i was on stage and then i'd go back to my friend's house and have a i think it's very specific it's very important for people to know the specifics of it because it makes it seem more serious because me picking out these numbers in my head i'm just like it makes me feel a bit sick because i didn't i've never up until this second thought about the amount so then i so yeah so then i go back to my friend's house and i'd have like another like eight cans or so and then the next day Again, because I'm doing music, I don't have to be up until whatever time the next afternoon. So I just sack off college or sack off whatever and just kind of be hungover all day. And then because I felt bad, I just go grab another crate in the afternoon with my friend. And um, I spoke to him recently, actually. We, we, we still speak a lot. And I remember the first time I said to him, oh, I stopped drinking. I, like, I, I, I didn't know if you know this, but I've got a drinking problem. He's like, of course I know you had a drinking problem. Like he was like, there was never a time in our friendship where you weren't drunk like unless i had to drive somewhere you know so so yeah so i th i think it was i think the term functioning is really appropriate because it it takes it away from oh i'm drinking at parties or even if i'm drinking two three times a week people do that and, and genuinely don't have a problem they just like to go out and whatever but when you're creating a schedule of it and creating a way to lie to people around it it doesn't matter because I think people like myself and you and any kind of addict, we're very good at convincing other people around us, but we're mainly really good at convincing ourselves that there's no problem. Um, I think it takes a certain amount of not, not intelligence and not in a, again, not in a, in, in, a, in any kind of like cocky or arrogant way, but it, it takes a certain level of kind of like thought process to think about how you're going to basically dictate what your brain's telling you because if you just kind of let it all go and went, I've got a problem with this, blah, blah, blah. It makes it so much harder to deal with. And I have friends who are functioning alcoholics now who have spoken to me about the problems that they have and they can't stop. And that's so much kind of like, that's, that is so much braver, I think. Um, Cause as soon as I realized I had a proper problem, I, I stopped kind of like, I tried about six or seven times over six months, but within that six months, I'd, I'd stopped. Some of these people who have that issue and can't stop, I think there's no fun in it anymore. And it literally is just function. You know, it's like putting petrol in a car. Um, yeah. And uh, I really get that, what you're saying about how you adapt your life around booze, because I used to do that, you know. I used to get in from work. I would never have a drink if I had a phone call to make or I had to go anywhere. It had to be on my terms that actually I could just know that once I had one, I could just let rip. Yeah. You know, even if I was to go to the pub, I wouldn't have pre-drinks. I would go to the pub because I wanted to be clear-headed when I walk in and walk out, go home and get absolutely sloshed. But people in the pub didn't know I had the problem I did have. So I can really relate to that online sort of diary you got in your head of how you go on stage and you'll be okay with six cans but if you had eight it might be different yeah yeah that was um i mean and that was all that was all when i felt that i had it relatively under i mean i had it under under control i think at that point it was a problem but i had controlled 
how the image of it came across. And I think um, I think part of the reason that I did have it under such control is because it was almost like you had to fit a brief to be someone that drank a lot from where I was from. And it's just working class area in the northwest of England. Like there's nothing special about like, oh, I've had this incredibly hard this and this. It's just there had to be if you were one of the one of the lad lads who was uh, playing you know, playing a lot of football and, and going out and getting fights and all that, all that stuff. And those were the people that were, oh, it's cool for them to drink. But when I was drinking, I um, I was walking around school in cowboy boots and makeup. Like it was almost like it wasn't taken, it wasn't taken seriously that I would do that type of thing. So I almost thought, okay, it became more of a friend to me because I was like, well, this is more personal. This is, this is bigger than image. This mm. is bigger than those those people who go and drink in the street you know when you see uh photos it's so funny when you see photos of like teenagers who've had their first ever beer and they like hold it up to the camera yeah. when they take the photos like look what i've got kind of thing it was it was already more to me than that um and i think that's why i created it i created a function out of it because it became such an emotional kind of um such an emotional comfort to me that if i if i created this function and set amount of rules like you said it's almost like oh yeah no i've got this under control it's not just i need this constantly and i think people think that i don't know about you but if you say to yourself oh well i'm not going to drink because i've got this important thing to do you're like well how can i be an alcoholic yeah, yeah. it's I'll denial fight. because you know i'll tell you another thing that if ever which was rare i had to drive in the evening or do something it didn't bother me and it was it was like how can i be an alcoholic if I can drive and go out and not even think about drinking, but it's all part of the denial. And I remember sometimes I used to play five aside on a Thursday night at nine. And the amount of times I think, Do you know what, I'm going to try and get out of it so I can have a drink. And I didn't. I play nine till 10, come home and then start drinking. And, and that's where it ramped up. So 18 years old, you was drinking. I mean, to be honest, mate, that cocktail of, beers and Baileys doesn't really do it for me. I mean, that's unusual. But when, from 18 years old, how did things develop from there? Well, from 18. Uh, so yeah, so when I, when I was 19, I moved away. Uh, but between 18 and 19, I was, uh, I was going out with someone I had a long term, long term partner who I in my head, I knew that we'd be 200 miles away from each other in, in, in six months or, or so. And um there would be, it's almost like this is going to be pointless being together. Um, so to get through that, we would drink a lot. And um, ugh, I just, I was just thinking about some of the stuff that I used to drink when I was with her. And it was almost like we did that to, we did that stuff to numb out mm. the, the fact that the relationship was going to end. And it's so strange because I feel like, cause I had to flick a switch at seven and grow up whilst still trying to retain this facade of everything's fine and i'm just a little kid whatever like it was almost like oh we were having a normal teenage relationship but under the surface it was like we were a really unhappy couple that had been together for 30 40 years and it feels like there was this did this i think one of the reasons i managed to stop so early and it is because i had almost embodied someone that was so much older than than i should have been um and so yeah so so me and me and her would drink a lot and she kind of did it to facilitate the mood of us still pretending everything was fine and then i moved away and that's when it like really started because i was on my own like i would have the the mentality of oh, i'm not i don't have to go home tonight and see my family so i can get as drunk as i want i had that every day and i lived with eight other people who had the same mentality and we had we had house parties that shut down this entire university block we were in and we had i had like nights out that i w i ended up i ended up playing football with someone in at three in the morning on a football pitch in fulham after going out on a night out in in the center of london um i <laughs> me and my me and my friend tried to um we, we we broke there was a like a tardis in someone's house and we went climbed over this fence and broke into this house um and got into this like tardis inside this person's house and this guy came out and chased us down the street and then set up cctv on this road we had like um we used to there's there's just so many at the point i'm putting these like almost these like childish memories out is it because there's so many people addicts or not that can relate to that stuff and go oh i did that oh i did that mm. i did that and again it was just about coercing myself to the extent that the only thing i'm doing is having fun 
and it might seem like for the last minute or so that it's like oh has he missed his point why, why is he talking about all those fun things it's like because that's that's the whole idea is that i'm very very good at making other people believe that i'm just having a good time you know and all of those things with those other people around me having the same mentality as me that was great because i could just feed off all right it's eight people in a room you only need seven because if you got seven then you've got one person to go out with each night and then everyone's like like you said before oh, i'll just go out and have one leave the pub pretty sober so people think they ain't got an issue um if i someone gave me a call and went oh what are you up to tonight i'd be like oh uh, i'm not free I could do something tomorrow. They'd be like, oh, he's not drinking tonight. It's, it's like, no, nah, I was just drinking with someone else. And yeah, at 19, myself and, and a friend counted that we we got absolutely like blackout drunk every day for, I think we counted 48 days. Some of my friends might message me and tell me it was a different amount, but I don't know, I was drunk. Um, there was like, yeah, about 48 days. The only reason it stopped was because uh, I went on holiday with my family for a week and um and again, because I got on holiday, I was 19. I was just like, yeah, I don't need to drink much when I'm here. Like, I'm fine. There's no issue. And then got back and it was Christmas. And then to be perfectly honest, that time from 18 to 22, uh, 19 to 22 was, it was just pretty much carnage constantly. Um, but under the guise of, ah, oh, it's all just at university, you know. And it it became more of a, it became a slightly more of a hidden thing. I got into a quite an abusive relationship. Um, and within that time, I did a lot of just drinking on my own. And at that point, my self-confidence was so low. I didn't even care. That was when it kind of like started to fall off to the point where I didn't care what it looked like to other people. I was like, I just need this and that's it. And uh, yeah, and that's pretty much how I stayed. I kind of got myself, I straightened myself out for my my last ever university performance that i had to do um we had a had a gig and, and i was like oh, i'll just have i'll have coffee tonight instead of drinking um because i know i got an exam at 9 a.m and then that's me done at university and again i was like how can i be an alcoholic because everyone else is drinking and i'm not kind of thing yeah and then that's so that that yeah 19 to 22 kind of was to the same level of uh severity i would say it's interesting because i was um my old brain box was ticking over to think when i was that age and you kind of, I remember several times I i thought, God, I'm really caning it here. I used to get in at three, four in the morning and get up for work the next day. And at that age, I don't know what it is, but you just got a second wind when you get up. And I think that's what helps you think, ah, it's all right, I crack on. And, you know, and also at that age, you, you're encouraged a lot by your friends, aren't you? Come yeah. on, let's go on the lash. And, and if you've got a problem with booze, it doesn't take long for you to go, sod it. Even if you've thought to yourself, do you know what? I'm going to take it easy for a few days. It takes one of them to go, we're going out tonight at the local, mate. You come in and you go, fuck it. You yeah. know? Yeah. I, um, what, what's strange, I think, about that as well is that if you're in an environment where that doesn't really change, then those questions from other people about are oh, you going to come out and stuff like that they 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 remain pretty much consistently prevalent to the point where you where you stop um i know people that to be honest i know people that won't listen to this and i could talk about them and give their full names and say all of this stuff and and say how, how bad of an influence that person is and stuff like that but one that wouldn't be right to do and two i know that they've got issues that they haven't addressed mm. but because of that those people kept me going because when there's a couple of you then it's then it's perfect because you know and i could spot it and those people they either can't spot it or they don't want to spot it like so 22 23 normally for people that would maybe have a more structured or or uh normal career would would possibly you know have families and and stuff like that quite a lot earlier whereas because a lot of the people that i was friends with were either working in bars or were in like creative industries we never grow up i've still not grown up at, at all but because of that you're you're able to just every week kind of think of the same excuses because yeah. you're not well it's like well i don't have to go and do anything inherently responsible tomorrow i just gotta pull pints so why not stay up till five like there was a time where my other friend who's now sober as well we had a uh we'd finish working at this pub and we would normally sit around and have about four or five pints every night just because the work was so hard. 
um, and then crack on the next day, do the same thing. And I remember once we stayed up until, I think we stayed up, and, stayed up until quarter to nine, went upstairs, fell asleep for 15 minutes and started the next shift. And I think I cried on that shift twice. Um, it was, <laughs> it was horrible. I just remember passing out on the floor and there was just like a toilet roll and she used that as a pillow, 15 oh minutes, God. straight back up and then straight back down to the bar. Um, but yeah, if you're, if you're in that environment, there's, there's almost no, not that there's no need to stop, but there isn't a way to stop. If you're literally pouring out the thing that is the problem, like you, it's, it's right in it's, front of you. It's really hard, mate. And, but the thing is, I talk to loads of people and they, and they, do you know, the most common thing people say is, oh, I'm in an industry that drink is wherever you look. And, and you know, I, I often say to them, well, look, <laughs> nearly everyone, because you justify it as well. You know, 100%. no matter what you do, I was in the like carpet game and whatever. And it was always like, well, you know, we graft, we work really hard. So you've got to have a few beers after work and you've got to go out the weekend to go on the lad. You know, it's always an excuse. Yeah. So, you know, still very young in that. Where did it get to a point in your life that you thought, do you know what? I really need to change this. So I was living in a, I was living in a, in a house with, my my best my best mate and um we were having it was it was pretty good we were going out and drinking a lot but again we'd kind of like managed to reel it into being just really fun a lot and because both of us we would have a really great time then we had someone else move into that house who dramatically kind of changed everything and it was that point where i was like i cannot function like this anymore he um brought in it was this guy who moved in a very sociopathic person who pretended he was really cool and all this really nice and whatever and and he was just a horrible, horrible person. And he would have four or five people round every night, just cane in drugs all night. And I wasn't really in that kind of, for me, it was almost like, well, I'm just drinking. So I'm better than this kind of thing. And then that was brilliant because I had this kind of barometer of kind of like, oh, well, I'm a socially responsible human being who only has a legal drug kind of thing. Yeah. Um, but I was working out in... Um, so the band I was in at the time, we were on tour a lot, but when I wasn't on tour, I was, um, I was teaching, I was teaching guitar up in, in Watford, which was about an hour away from where I was. It was not a very, it wasn't a very good job, but it was just any money I could kind of grab whilst I wasn't on tour. But I had to leave the house really, really early every day. And they would be up, like the music would be so loud five, six days a week. Um, but I would just have to drink to kind of get myself to sleep at that point. Um, and I was just like, I'm not even doing this for fun. Like if those people weren't in the house, that'd obviously be another excuse, but I was like, I wouldn't even be drinking. So it was just kind of like latching onto anything. It was like, oh, that, that's the, that's the new thing. That's the excuse kind of thing. Um, it's almost like, you know, um, when they have those like things in cartoons and they have like people like falling between two kind of like cliff faces and their hands, yeah, hands yeah. are stuck on either side. It's like the further down you go, you just grab another excuse to hold yourself yeah. up. And it, it, that's that's how that kind of felt. And I remember one day waking up and going, oh, I really need a beer. And my mate literally just walked past me in the living room and went, yes, yeah, because you're an alcoholic. And I was just like, oh, OK. Um, I didn't, didn't stop me, but I went, oh, OK. I mean, no, now I'm not. Let's go out and have a drink. You know, like I was just like, I don't you know, there's uh, there's no there's no need to almost like call that out. It's like, that's a bit harsh. No, no, I'm not. And it was when I got myself out of that house that I started to. I started to think that I would think that I'd stop kind of thing. Once I got out, the thought that I, that this was going to happen, it kind of, it kind of changed. But for a very brief moment in time, I thought this is, this is where this needs to change. And it wasn't until two years later where it actually did. Um, Cause I got myself out of that, got myself into a new situation. And then, as you said before, you know, whatever industry you're in, when I went from the pub industry solely to the music industry that's when it just became another excuse and be on tour with certain, the, the band that i was in um at the time was very classic rock music based um and i would drink to kind of get through that because i didn't really like the music but also we were on tour with a lot of bands whose like whole image was like oh let's get wasted kind of thing so it was it was um another reason that it was it felt impossible to stop at that at that time but there was a few occasions where we were out in Italy one night and I looked down at my phone. My phone died. I looked up. All the boys had gone and I was so drunk. And at the time I was trying to raise money 
to do like a go sober thing in September whilst I was out on tour to raise money for whatever it was I was trying to raise money for. I completely sacked that in like two days into the tour. And at this point I was setting up all of these like sober goals that I could try to achieve as a way to not drink. Um, because I thought, wouldn't that be a good achievement? Not, I need to not do this forever. I think if you have in your mind that there's going to be a time where you start drinking again, yeah, you go, well, what's the point? You know? Yeah. Why stop for four days when I'm going to be back on it in five kind of thing. Um, so yeah, that was, that was, there was a lot of battles over from 24 to 26. There was a lot of battles of I'm doing this for a good cause to stop, or I don't care. This is just what I'm going to be like or complete denial of everything's kind of fine. And then there was the few moments where I break down, especially with like lack of sleep and stuff. And uh, where I would just kind of like bawl my eyes out and be like, there is, there is something going on that I, I don't have any control over. Like I really felt like there was no, I'd go to the pub and in my head, I'd be like, I know that if I have a beer, this is me for three days. This, I, I never got to, um, kind of experience a hangover without drinking on top of it really at this point it was just three days on the session and when my body literally couldn't take it anymore i just kind of pass out for a few days um, it's scary isn't it yeah and and you know talking to so many people we've all got different stories you know and mm. when you started this at the beginning saying you know we've all got these sort of hero stories of you know you waking up when your head's on a toilet roll i remember walking through a park absolutely gone probably three in the morning right i had a someone's painting under my arm that i'd just taken it off the wall because i thought that looked nice in my house uh and then i laid down on the grass because it looked like a beautiful green suede snooker table base you know and, and i thought oh i can just sleep now when i woke up it it was chucking it down and it was in the middle of a muddy football pitch and it was like <laughs> what was I hallucinating or whatever, you know, and the painting was over there somewhere where I dropped it. And it's like, God, I, I've got a million stories, but it all ends up the same that when you, when you realize actually that it's providing nothing in your life, you, you know, you soon realize actually I've really got to do something about this. Yeah. hundred percent. It was, uh, I think it's absolute nail on the head with, uh, it's when there is no positive, with it anymore and you can't i think you get too tired to make up positives you're like this isn't true like it doesn't matter what i say about this and it doesn't matter that it's a hundred times easier than not drinking it just isn't true nothing's you know it's not it's not working like i would go i remember um there was an occasion where so I, I stole a painting from a pub as well actually i got barred from a weatherspoons for it and it was <laughs> nailed into the wall the, the nails were like like six seven inches like into the wall and i just ripped it off the wall and kind of turned around to my mate and went oh yeah so the guys to fit the new one will be in tomorrow thinking i duped everyone in the pub to thinking i was like a painting remover obviously i got barred i wonder if they uh, put seven inch nails in because before they used two inch nails and everyone was like <laughs> mate you know it's the worst thing was is that it was this pub in west london and um it was it was a weather spoon so yeah it wasn't wasn't fantastic but the painting on the wall was upside down and it, we used to go into that pub after uni every day and i used to look at that painting and be really annoyed that it was upside down so one day i thought oh, i've had enough i'm gonna rip this off the wall yeah. and bring it home and then the next day yeah, i just woke up and in in it was just in or just in the middle of the living room and i was just like well what's the i'm not 18 like what's the what's the benefit of that not that i should have done it at 18 but you know what i mean i'm like this is embarrassing now so day one how did that come about how old was you when i stopped yeah let's think <sighs> 26 i think it was 26 it's been it's been four years and eight months so i think that's yeah 26 it was and and do you know what the, the thing was is that i i went to the pub um and uh i walked to the pub i picked up a pint from my mate that was um that was working i went and sat in the beer garden just sat in the beer garden rolled up a cigarette was like right i'm gonna and, and then something in me just went like I broke down. I just started crying in the, in the pub and the person I was sat with, I was just like, I was like, looked across at her and I was just like, I can't do this anymore. And I, and I sat there for a few hours just crying. Um, I didn't move the beer because I felt, I didn't think I'd stopped drinking. I was just like, oh, this is going to be another one of those things where I kind of break down and whatever. Um, pay for the drink left, just left it on the side. And then I walked down the road to pick up my house keys from my friend uh, because I was like absolutely bawling my eyes out kind of thing. I was like, I need to go home. I don't know what I'm doing. Went into the pub uh, down the road 
And I was like, this is the first and hardest test I will ever have. And the guy on the bar was like, oh, your mate's outside. But he said, you have to buy a beer before you come out into the garden. And I was like, nah, just leave me alone. And I went out into the garden. And my mate was like, oh, you can get a pint. I was just like, just shut up and give me the house keys. I need to go kind of thing. And uh, that was the first day. That was it. It was the the night before we there's a video of me the night before as well. I think in my head, everyone, everyone was like drinking the same as me woke up. I'd had, I think I'd had, I had a, a crate in my room that I was drinking separately to the crate I was drinking downstairs because other people weren't drinking fast enough kind of thing. Um, and uh, yeah, that next day I thought I was going to be getting straight back on it. Um, so it wasn't one of these like biblical moments that I thought that was going to happen in my head where, where there was some kind of, you know, like in those things in films, I think where people stop and it's so dramatic and stuff. It's like, I had a few tears in a pub garden. No one looked at me. I went and picked up my house keys and went to bed. Like there isn't this massive dramatic moment where everything changes. It's just, you, you're never ready to stop ever because you're literally addicted to the thing. I think people wait for it to stop being addictive and they go, oh, this will get easier at some point. It's like, it's, it's the hardest thing I've ever done. I, th- I think you're under clubbing that, mate, because when you when you talked about that, and I'm sure the listeners will agree, it sounded incredibly powerful because it was like a breakdown, okay. you know, like an absolute breakdown. And the same for me. I didn't plan it. I didn't plan it. But all I kept saying was, I've got to do something about it. I've got to do something about it. this internal dialogue. And And to a lot of people, it seemed like my first day was spontaneous sobriety, which is a thing. It's where you just give up out of nowhere. But it wasn't because there was a lot of spontaneous dialogue that had been going on previously to that, that was subliminally telling myself, I've got to stop drinking, mate. You know, it, it was that. And it was on the 7th of Jan 2019, I got a text message, and a lot of people know this story. And that changed everything. A bit like you going into the pub garden and mm. sitting there. I think it was whatever you believe in the universe, God, or whatever it was, but something happened at that moment. That was, that's enough for you, Jack. Yeah. Yeah. It's, um, it's, I think it's, it's almost like you'd need a hundred. It's like, you almost need a hundred little reasons to stop. And maybe someone's kind of teetering on the edge of like 99 of those reasons. And there was just something in my head that went, Oh, I've stopped because I'm hungover. I've stopped because of this. And that's not why it is at all. You, you've stopped because there's been so many instances that like you say that, that eventually make up this one thing that stops it. And the more um, over the last few months, I've been looking into a lot of things where it's never really one big move or one big moment that helps something become great or good or whatever it is there's loads of tiny little details within anything that make that happen you know like when people talk about having gut instinct yeah i firmly believe that gut instinct just comes from the fact that every single time you've tried a certain thing it's gone either positively or negatively and because of those experiences if you have an idea and immediately you think i've got a bad feeling about that it's not because of some kind of zany made-up thing it's because you have subconsciously experienced that a hundred times and you know that probably won't work out and then people go oh it's just i just went with my gut kind of thing it's like yeah. well you just go in with your experiences you know yeah but um i mean i'm a believer of your gut instinct you know it's an actual chemical reaction as well because your gut is your second brain yeah and when you really read into that it's it's really fascinating um mm. but i'm not qualified to talk about it but all i can say is that there's such a tie. That's why they call it your second brain, and I'm a true believer in that. So how did you find the first few months? Was that really difficult for you because of your industry? Yeah. Um, so the the first couple of weeks uh, was okay, and then I went back out on tour. And going back on tour was such a it was a re- it was a very refreshing experience because I knew that at this time I was in a band that I wasn't that happy with and I'd had some great great moments in that band um also whilst, all whilst I was drinking and uh after after the fact that I'd stopped it was the shows were more they were more enjoyable but at the same time more frustrating and we play some festivals and there's videos of me on YouTube and of me being in front of thousands of people being so angry and so frustrated because the sheen of me stopping 
had um, that so the sheen of the alcohol had kind of gone off. And I was like, oh, I, I think I can do better than this in, in like any career. You know, for example, if you said you were decorating your painting your wall, if you were doing that when you were drunk, you probably think this is great. Like the, the, the beautiful grass you lay on the next day, you're like, oh, it's rubbish. Like it's the same thing. I was like, oh, this is really good. And I stopped and I went, oh, I've just been hiding behind my insecurities because of the because of the alcohol. Like they weren't there. Now they are here. I came up with this really strange analogy as it's almost like, you know, when a little kid's got like head lice mm. and it's it's the equivalent of whenever people ask me what it's like to stop drinking. I always think it's like it's like someone shaving your head and the, all of these things that are buried beneath all of this, all this stuff are exposed and they've got nowhere to they've got nowhere to go. And they just need to they, you need to then get them off of your get them off of your head and you can see them a lot clearer. And it's yeah. really it's really disgusting. Um, but it's something that's been like buried there for ages. And that's for me, when I stopped, I was so angry for so long and I'd smash guitars up on stage and stuff, not even in a cool, or oh, this is rock and roll way. I was just so sick of what I was doing, the people that were around me. Um, the drummer of that band is, is my, one of my best friends and he's now in the band that is our career now, but the, everything else around that was I just I couldn't tolerate it anymore. And I realized that I'd never tolerated it sober. It was just because of what was happening. So I I went out and um played some very frustrating kind of like shows and and stuff. And then um that was the, the anger kind of kept me going because I just think it's it's almost like grief. Um, you know, um I've been oh, I can't remember what the the exact phrases or who it was by i think it might be is it marion keys or someone that basically said like oh like alcohol was like it's almost like your best friend um and it's almost like when when it goes away it's almost like mourning the the loss of yeah. of a friend you know yeah. and that's that's how i felt like i went through stages of grieving of yeah completely grieving um, and anger as well because like i can really relate to that because i had this anger going on for a couple of years and i was angry with myself as well that everything else in my life I was managing apart from alcohol and I was angry that I had let it into my life so much and it had dominated so much of my life as well. So yeah, I can really relate to that. It became, I think situations that were around me, it, when it stopped being so, when everything stopped feeling so, so against me and everything, like I start to feel a lot less, a lot less angry about stuff. I think I just realized that, a huge part of this was to do with issues that in myself that I'd never kind of dealt with and, and um, problems with my mental health that I'd never, never dealt with at all. And, and traumas from when you're younger, because everyone to an extent has, has things like that, that they either suppress or kind of get through. And, and I think a lot of the time it's, it's almost like the, it's almost like somebody's personality makeup, I suppose, you know, it's almost, people can deal with these things in a, in a very healthy way without realizing they're being healthy or people can be very self-destructive without realizing they're being self-destructive. And I think there were so many things that I would internalize in the same way that you said, like I, I would turn things into myself and be really angry at myself that I hadn't gotten better at this certain thing in music, or I hadn't like, why am I playing this music when I could have been doing this and this, if I'd been sober this whole time. And, and it's almost like you, you're fighting to get the years back that you kind of lost. Um, from from all of what well, i say lost because you you forget so much stuff like you genuinely do there's so many times i woke up and i was like oh what did i do that is such a terrifying thing to feel three times a week you know to be like i have no idea what happened yesterday i know mate but you know what i'm a firm believer that we're here now in the present right we can't go back and this has all happened to you for a reason. And you're in this creative industry. And I'm sure that all of that that happened to you then comes out in your music now. Yeah. And you're young. You're 31 years old, even though you look 12. <laughs> <laughs> but seriously, I drank for 40 years, mate. Mm. So for me to look back at my life and look at the mistakes I've made uh, the relationships that I've affected by my drinking, my relationship with my son, my stepkids now, my wife and that. If I was to sit down and think about all that now, I, I would literally, I don't know what I would do, but I wouldn't be here doing what I'm doing now if it wasn't for that. So, yeah. And I'm here in the present, I think, with you as well, 
you know, like talking to you today is really refreshing and you've been really honest, mate, and I appreciate it. Cool, mate. I mean, I've really, I've really, um, I've been really excited about doing it. Um, I, I found, um, I think one of the, one of the main things that I think anyone that's listening that thinks that they might have a problem, uh, would need to hear is that it's not, it's not that the alcohol is the problem. The, the alcohol or the drugs are the solution, I think. And I think they are your best friend and they are your therapist and they are your, they're your escape from things that are just really hard to deal with. Like I have, um, I've been battling with, with bad mental health, uh, for pretty much the entire time I've been drinking without almost realizing it. I take medication for that. Now I meditate, obviously sober. Um, I exercise and I think the, all, all of those things together, it's almost like I do those things just to feel mildly normal. I don't do those things to become this zen guru master of enlightenment it's just like i do that stuff so i can function like like the guy next door who's just normal like normal in quotes i suppose um i think there are a lot of tendencies that people have to blame everything on their lack of control and if you put that aside there's probably a hundred different things that have happened that have made you need to reach for that stuff you know it's it's never that you are a terrible person. I think people put it down to a bad personality. As I said at the start, it's almost like an image that you have to have to be an addict. Um, I think out of the people I know, addicts are the nicest, most open, wonderful people that I have ever met. And it's because they share so much. I think there is such a huge amount of empathy Mm. and compassion from people that are like that because they're very in tune with the fact that life is hard and they need something to use to cope with that and it's mm. why people call it using because you're literally you are you're picking something up and using it to it's almost it's a very it's a very positive word it's not your you're not i'm going out and i'm i'm destroying alcohol i'm doing this or we're getting obliterated you know when people say all of that stuff when they're just going out on a big session or whatever people that need that stuff and are addicted to it say that they're using it because it just helps them to function. And I think yeah. all of these words intertwine, it's, they don't just come out for no reason. I, as again, because I'm a musician and because I'm a singer, right, I, I'm really obsessed with how language fits into, into little, like almost these subconscious nuances that people talk about and, and looking at all of those things and analyzing it and verbalizing it, it makes it so, it makes it so obvious. I, I, I hear that. I mean, I think it's interesting that when you when you found your coping strategies before of how you used to have a certain amount of alcohol before a gig and then after, you know, it's all a routine. And it's when you stop drinking, you have to find a new routine, don't you? You yeah. have to find a coping strategy that is outside a drug. And that can be really, really difficult. So you've got your music. Uh, and trust me, we'll talk about your band before we wrap it up. But it's brilliant, mate. Honestly, it's fantastic. And I'm an old Dodger and Git. And if I walked into <laughs> your concert now, I'd be thrown out. But, um, you know, but it's, there's a void left when, when you stop. Yeah. And what you say now is how you cope is by your meditation. Yeah. Um, but, you know, you say that you take medication as well. And, we all do things, you know, I've got a PT now and, and, you know, that's really helped my mental health. Uh, but I struggle all my life with mental health, you know, all yeah. my life. Mm. And my comfort blanket was alcohol. It's never gambling. It was never sex. It was never drugs. Really. I never really got into drugs. It was always alcohol because it did what it said on the tin. It numbed yeah. out. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. And and for me, after 40 years, it was to remove that was really difficult. But what I've found from it is now I've put in place these other things are now in a good place and I don't need to go back to that toxic relationship. Yeah. Yeah. It's um it is it is a very it's so synonymous with any kind of toxic relationship, I think, uh one with it with another human being. It's mm. it's so it almost it embodies its its own personality i think alcohol and it, it it's its own it's its own person within within our, our society because you 
if you think about the amount of I, I saw one of the Instagram pictures you had up the other day where there's just like a really nice looking pub outside. There's like every other thing, especially especially here and like every other building is 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 a pub you know and i think there is such incredible marketing behind alcohol mm-hmm. and there is this sense of i think there's a sense of experience that is sold to you that isn't sold to you with things like drugs and and stuff like that and i think um whoever the evil people are that are doing that now with gambling are turning gambling into the same experience that alcohol mm. was you know mm. um with all of those constant advertisements that came out during lockdown, which I just said, how can you sleep at night? You know what I mean? Yeah. Well, I mean, I know there's a, I won't mention his name, but um, he's a famous actor, South London actor in a lot of the gangster films and whatever. And he does um, adverts on roulette and stuff and, and um, gambling companies and stuff. And and it's like, mate, you really don't need to be doing this. (laughs) No, multi-millionaire now. What are you doing? You know, and I know as well with some people, not me, luckily, but with alcohol comes gambling, you know, online roulette and stuff like that. I know someone who's done two, three grand in one sitting because he'd had a drink, you know, and it's stuff like that, that, you know, it escalates, but I, I just feel so grateful. And what you say as well about, addicts being incredibly humble i've always said that jack that yeah talking to you like we've chatted on the phone and whatever but talking to you now i feel like i've known you for years do you know what i mean same yeah it's really lovely and everyone i meet in in this community or whether it's because they feel like they've got a second life or or whatever it is but they're so humble and they've got so much empathy for others and whatever that and they've been through their own turmoil as well, their own internal turmoil that we've had. You know, I've often said it's like being on a desert island. We might perform in front of our friends and our families. Yeah, I come across all confident and I've got my shit together. But actually, you're in your bedroom on your own thinking, what have I done with my life? Do you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. It's a fascinating subject, but I'm going to start winding it down now, Jack, and I could honestly talk to you forever. I'd love you to tell me about now. What's happening for you now? How has it changed you? How has it changed the lyrics in your songs? And tell me all about that, mate. It's been, I would say, over the last over the last two years, it's been it's been amazing. Um, it is the the idea of 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 stopping and all of those problems seem so small to me now because of how positive things are. I I stopped and pretty much as soon as um, I stopped, I did one tour in my last band. And then I, and then I quit. Um, and it was a, it was a huge, it was a huge risk. Um, and I started up something else And the first song I, the first song I wrote, um, with our keyboard player, Ben, me and him, you were in a band together when we were a lot younger and, and we got together and went, Oh, let's, we were like, let's just write something that we think will, will kind of like hit home. And we wrote something in this, in this, uh, flat with a, with a friend. We didn't really know what's going to happen. And then we took that song to this BBC event and we kind of snuck in the artist's area um, and handed this, uh, we handed a USB stick with a playing card attached to it. I still got all the other 51 in a bag over there. Um, we just wrote our band information on it and gave the uh, USB stick in and uh, to these people that were playing music and Steve Lamack played our song um, on Radio 6 in front of like 300 people. And uh, this this woman came up to me afterwards and handed me a business card and went call me and i thought i was in trouble because i've just been in trouble for years anyone that's doing any business i was like i'm in trouble i'm in debt or whatever um i gave her a call and she was like the song that we played um three record labels were there all three of them were like this is okay whatever and i was like oh, okay thanks had like my ass handed to me in front of 300 <laughs> people um <laughs> and uh she was like i thought your music was incredible um and then we signed a management deal seven weeks after being a band and i I rang Ben. It was just myself and him at the time. The guy who, <laughs> the guy who plays bass for us now was the tour manager for my old band, and we've been friends for for years. Um, and I asked him to join. And he said no. <laughs> and I did the same with our drummer. I asked him to join. He said no. And then the second time around, we'd done a few more little bits here and there, and they were like, "Now nah, let's let's give this a go. Let's do this properly." And our managers had this kind of like, she's an incredible woman, and she's had these plans in place that are starting to kind of like come into fruition now. Um, that she said would take as long as they have taken. Um, and uh, we have this incredible team of people around us um, that make me feel really kind of like safe that I don't need to drink or the other guys in the band drink and stuff like that. But 
they're, I'm so close to them as people that yeah. it doesn't matter. And I would always say, if you're in any kind of industry, you can teach a nice person to do a good job, but you can't teach someone who's amazing at something to be a nice person. So if you're working with anybody that you don't really get on with, you can't, you can't sustain that, you know? Yeah. Um, and it's just gone from strength to strength. The band itself, um, Tova, T-O-V-A. <laughs> I need to put that in there at some point. Plug it, mate. Plug yeah. it. Yeah. Um, we have seen an, a massive growth in the band over the last six months because of all the things me and you talk about here. I put that into all of the lyrics of the music we create. Um, the EP that we put out uh, two months ago um, is called Happy Music for Sad People. And I think we wanted to give it quite a childish name because it's it's got um, rather than it be too like overbearing um, and all of the music within those four songs is about it, expressing problems with like my alcohol and mental health with the ideas of the imagery of like demons and uh, monsters and stuff like that. Um, I really wanted to take away the idea of having it set in the real world because that's what I did with my alcohol. I'd take myself away from the real world and put myself somewhere else. I was like, I'm going to do that, but with these songs. Um, so it kind of creates this thing that fits with, we've got these other two songs called uh, Head Count and You Look Better as Demons. And they all fit, these six songs all kind of fit together in this world that we've kind of created from the experiences that I've had with addiction. Um, and uh, we did a show a couple of weeks ago, which... Um, it, we, we put it on sale and it's sold out in two weeks. Uh, we have a show on April the 2nd and uh, O2 in Islington. You can come. You won't, you won't be kicked out, I promise. Um, <laughs> and that's already like oh, half the tickets of that for sold out and all that stuff is um, it's just coming from the fact that the music is so genuine. And when people say you have to be in the music industry and take drugs and and uh, and, and drink alcohol to to like be, have this image, it's like we are trying to completely counteract that and say that um, I'm, I'm bisexual um i am sober i am like vehemently feminist i don't believe that anyone should be treated in 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 any kind of in, in any kind of way um lesser than you simply because of who of who they are and i i feel that that comes across in what we do and how we perform and that's why it's grown into the success it has over the last year because what we do is so genuine that all it takes is for someone to come across it and they go, oh, I, I can relate to this. I don't know how I can relate to this right now, but I, but I can. And that's why it start, uh, That's that's why I started it. It was to cope. I, I got um, I, I tried to go in like a, an NHS course thing and I completely mucked it up. And they sent me a letter saying, unfortunately, we can't have you on this course kind of thing. And in my head, that's when I left what I did previously and went, I, I, this is where this change is because I need to do something that creates a community of people that can sit there and, and feel safe. You know, like we've, we've, um, because of the, the virus, the, the tour we did was then a year and a half later. Now we've started playing shows again because we haven't done loads and loads of stuff over the, that time. I thought, well, you know, if I was still drinking, I would be doing nothing until we got back on the road, but we've leapfrogged so many bands that have kind of been complacent because every single day, I haven't had the, oh, I'm hungover on this and this. Like I've made hundreds of songs that are all kind of, not that they'll be used, but it's practice. And every single thing that we do gets better and better because there's so much stuff that goes in between. We release a song this month. We release a song six months time or whatever. There have been hundreds of songs in between that. And that's all come from the drive that I have from being sober and well, from my ADHD as well, where I just like hyper fixate on things. Um, but it's, it's incredible, man. It's been doing this. It's the one, th you know, when people say that kind of like, oh, it's like they're the thing that they were born to do, like Tova and this community of people we've created um, with community we've created for these people. That's what I feel I was born to do. And I couldn't have done any of it without being sober at all. And this is a point, mate, while I was saying to you earlier about regretting the past, right? You wouldn't be where you are right here and now talking to me if it wasn't for that. Yeah. Vice versa. And that, and that's the way I look at it. And for me, I'm like you, I'm exactly where I'm supposed to be yeah. right now. Absolutely. And Jack, again, I could talk to you for hours. I'm going to wrap it up. We'll have to uh, catch up soon together, mate. Yeah. Um, I think you're amazing. I'm Thank really so proud much. of you as well. I know we've been chatting and keep doing what you're doing, mate. And you might see me with my old Zimmer frame at the back of the hall. 
in April, <laughs> at your gig, waving it around. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you so much, Jack. And uh, I'm going to put all your details in the show notes for anyone listening that wants to follow your band. Uh, your music's amazing, mate, honestly. Thank it's you so brilliant. much. And uh, let's catch up soon. All right, thanks, Dave. Cheers, man. Thank you. Cheers, my man. Bye, mate. Bye. I hope you've enjoyed today's episode of One for the Road. Please remember to subscribe and leave a review. You can now download my app, Sober Dave, on the Apple and Google Play Store. And on there, you will find lots of tutorials, tips and support to help you stop drinking. And there are also meditation audios, food plans and chat forums. You can also find me on Instagram at Sober Dave. Please remember to join me for next week's episode. But until then, thanks for listening and have a great week.